I didn't get a chance to talk to you. Any. Would you like to share a little bit just uh, how the debate went and what maybe you can learn and what maybe you can uh, for yourself and for the church? Uh, we're really pushing on learning verses and being able to contend for the faith. And uh, uh, you have anything you'd like to share with us? Okay. Hang on just a minute. We're going to let all these young'uns kind of depart. And that way I think probably people are having a hard time hearing you. All right. Well, brother, I, I'm getting... Uh, would you mind coming up and just sharing just a little bit? Because people can't hear you very well back there. So. Okay. That's uh, <laughs> so good. Okay. Yeah. So the um, debate is on sermon audio. You can listen. It's an hour long. And uh, basically we talked about, you know, um, the label of a church, um, some on eternal security, baptism mainly, and um, the gospel on salvation, and uh, a little bit on the Bible translation, um, so those are the main topics. So, um, and uh, we talked about you know rightly dividing the word by that a word can have more than one meaning. You know, like justified, for example. You know, um, that has more than one meaning. And even baptism, it has more than one. Um, it's not always water baptism. So that's something we have to keep in mind. Uh, and also looking at the context and looking at the big picture for everything. So again, that's on a sermon audio. It would be worth listening to that, you know. Okay. Continue to pray for uh, Brother Mohan. He is... He is um, very persistent with uh, that ministry, and uh, and he's been recognized. And I have he hasn't said nothing. I I haven't said too much, but uh, he's been recognized. Almost uh, he's gotten responses all over the world uh, to to forum that he has, and I believe God is using that. So uh, for God's glory, and I'm thankful for his persistence. And uh, so pray for him as he. He's faithful with that. Um, but I believe God can use all of us in, in that same way. Um, and But it, it does, in order to be used of God, that means we've got to be serious. I uh, mentioned to uh, Oscar, and I think if you're here on Wednesday nights, uh, we are uh, learning, I guess, Scripture and trying to memorize it. And so in a church-wide way, is more about accountability to each other. And so uh, we've done the little thing where we're, we're uh, uh, have to, you're somebody from your home, you're trying to get those given points for a person to memorize the two verses of the week. And then also they're going to pick out a verse from the categories. Right now I think we have at least four, maybe more than that, right, Brother O? Uh, categories. We're growing in that. Matter of fact, we're going to grow uh, 
multiple categories. I've asked Cassie that on the back of your bulletin, I don't have my bulletin with me, um, there's a list of verses. And what we're going to do is we're going to put the categories in there so that when you look at a verse, you're going to think of a category. Okay? I, it's, a, it's ominous if we don't. It's, it's almost overwhelming. And I don't want that to be with you. I want you to be able to be comfortable. So we're going to learn maybe one verse per category and, and add to it as we go. But you're going to be able to learn. Uh, and all this is about application. It's not just about filling your head with knowledge. Um, you know, you, uh, like Brother uh, Mohan, I, I'm sure as much as he tried to prepare, he, he almost had to have a, a pretty well... Uh, understanding of all the scriptures so that he could because you never know how a, a forum like that will will go and so same is true with you and me we're going to be meeting people and uh, hopefully and we're going to knock on doors we're going to meet people by chance and maybe somebody that you meet along the way and to have an answer is what this bible tells us always be prepared for an answer to give an answer and uh, not just to prove yourself right, but as we rescue the perishing. We're looking at people the same way the Lord does. He's not willing that any should perish. And uh, our purpose in life and, and the investment of our life is all about that. It's all about investing ourselves uh, to the to degree uh, that we're, uh, like the proverb says, uh, there's he that maketh himself poor but is very rich. You know, you're, what you have, what, the time, what, what you have to show for life is souls being saved, lives being changed, kids being influenced. Uh, it's, not the, it's not the home you live in. It's not the car. It's not the bank account. It's not the retirement that, you're, that everybody is uh, so uh, sometimes overwhelmed with. It's, it's what, you know, you think about John the Baptist. You think about the Lord himself. You think about the Apostle Paul. You think about anybody that that we look up to in the scriptures doesn't look up to them because they had they were renowned in their in their in the things that they owned or what they had it wasn't because they had some political uh, office uh, the presidents will go and senators will go and come and go it's what we do for God and uh, that and that is of course what the Lord adds up I want you to take your Bibles and this morning. We're going to look at the book of Matthew. I love preaching on the on the on the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Um, I don't know about you. I've been <clears throat> on a couple of high places, and I'm never. Anytime you can get above things a little bit, um, it always is an inspiration to me. Uh, you get uh, up in a high building, or you get up on a mountainside, or you get up in a plane, or you, I can even, you go over some of these overpasses, you go up on the Skyway, take the Skyway over in Indiana, and you get up to the bridge, which is about the highest point uh, of the Skyway, and I'm, I'm impressed, I'm impressed with just the view, and, uh, and you think about it, Jesus uh, in the in the latter part of chapter four of Matthew, it says here in uh, verse twenty three, and, uh, and I'm just going to kind of prep this when we stand and read in, in Matthew five. But he says Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of diseases. In verse twenty three of chapter four, among the people, 
and the Bible says his fame went throughout all Syria. Uh, Syria isn't actually <laughs> Israel. It's just that, you know, people were impressed with his, uh, what he had done. And they said they brought unto him sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those which possessed with devils, which were, and with devils, and those were lunatics, and and uh, those who had palsy, and he healed them. And the Bible says in verse 25, And there followed him a great multitude of people from Galilee, and from Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, and from all Judea, and beyond Jordan. Listen, at that point, he took them up into a mountain. I don't know if this, the way I see it, I think that he wanted them away from what they were normally doing. I think he wanted them in a place that could be an inspirational to them. I imagine it was somewhat quiet. It was away from the hustle and bustle of their day. I don't know about you. I don't relax unless I get away from home. You know why that is? I always see something needs to be done. Are you like that? You always see something that's got to be done or this has got to be done. I, and I'm, I'm just made that way. And, uh, and so it, it, you think about it. He takes them up into this mountain. And I really believe that in this... Uh, Sermon on the Mount has so been popularized, but the idea there is he's just basically giving people uh, the Christian life in a nutshell, in a sense. He's giving them a, an opportunity to kind of get a view of what the Christian life in a, in a kind of a mountaintop thing. Now, we've all had, and I've had some very good mountaintop experiences, but guess what? We don't normally live on the mountain. We live down there where the hustle and bustle is and where the day-to-day -day activities are. and where the. Uh, but the idea there, I think, and, and uh, you might prove me wrong, but in my mind, I believe God wants us to some degree to have the Christian life to be a mountaintop experience. Yeah, there's going to be difficult times and there's going to be challenges that come into our life. But in truth, being saved and living for Jesus day by day could be, and I think should be, a mountaintop experience. If you get down in the valley very long, if you get down in the, and you get under the, a dark cloud too long, listen, I don't know that that's necessarily too good as a Christian. Now, these difficult times can bring us closer to the Lord. I, I have had some difficult times, but I'll be honest with you. Difficult times doesn't mean you have to go down into the valley and lay down there and, and, and live down there. I believe you can, you can... God wanted these people to say, Listen, the things we want to teach you are things that are very important that you can and you should. But listen, if, you, if, you're, if your Christian life runs up and down... and I know many times people's Christian life does. Is that very good advertisement for people around to come know the Lord? No? Huh? If you're moody, I'm not talking about moody college either. I'm talking about you being moody. I mean, you do, people don't know just when and how to, uh, what to expect when they, it ought to be that you know Christ, Christ is, you're living by faith and There'll be some better days than, than, but most of them ought to be very, very upbeat, very positive, and very excited about life itself. I think when 
Caleb said, I want that mountain. I believe he had in mind what God had in mind. You want to, I want you to have a view from my, where, I, where God sits. And I believe when we understand that Jesus is the finisher of our faith, what he starts, he's going to finish. And what he's going to do, he's going to... I don't look at Jesus having valley experiences in his walk with God. I don't see it in the Apostle Paul. Some people get down in that valley and then they end up just quitting on God altogether. That shouldn't be. And you know, we have new people coming in and new people want to hear about Jesus. They don't want to hear about the valleys. They want to hear about the mountaintops, don't they? Your, your life ought to be a demonstration of that. And you ought to be able to look back over your life and say, I, I can't, oh yeah, there's some difficult times there, but, but I am excited for what God has done in my life. Matthew chapter number 5, if you will. Let's stand as we read the word of God together. The Bible says in verse number 1, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into the mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. And what's it say in verse number 12? What? Rejoice. You're not in the mountain. You're not re if you're not on the, in the mountain you, you, and you're down in the valley, you're not rejoicing. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Oh, Father, I pray that you'd help us to recognize that, Father, we may be misrepresenting you in our Christian life. Father, we may be in real time taking your name in vain. Father, we may be looking at the Christian life and through a spectrum that is really a worldly and, and an ungodly way. Lord, you're great and your name's always going to be great. And Father, we have taken your name. Father, I pray that you bless today that, Father, that that our lives would be <clears throat> living on the sides of a mountain. Seeing things through your eyes. Above the fray. Allowing our lives to be a demonstration of fruit and fruitfulness. I pray you bless the time we have in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. Again, I will... Be the first to say, I'm not a person that believes in the power of positive thinking. I'm not a Norman Vincent Peale. I'm 
Not just a person that says, well, you just need to think positive about things and things will be better. But I do believe, without a doubt, that there ought to be a sense of positiveness about the Christian life. There ought to be a sense of, uh, of hope about the Christian life. There ought to be a sense of being able to give when you wonder, where do you get the ability to give? Because God gives us something that never stops. The Bible says we're not to grow weary in well-doing. How many of you have heard that verse? No place that we have a place that we can be excused. We get ourselves in a, in a, down in the dumps about something. We get ourselves discouraged about something. Uh, we see something uh, ominous in our path when we, we allow our, our, our flesh to take over. Say to yourself right now that we're not on the mountain. You're not living on the mountain. You're allowing your flesh, you're allowing the world, you're allowing things that are not of God to take over. That's why it's so important, I think, when we, we take the time in the Word of God and learn it. When, you, when, you, when, you, when we read about the psalmist, we're going to come back here, but read Psalm 1 and you tell me that somehow that the Christian life is not living uh, in a way that's constantly bearing fruit. In verse 1, he says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Verse 1, chapter 1, Nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the what? The scornful. A scornful person has just got an issue with life, an issue with people, an issue with, with anybody, anything and everybody. But the Bible says his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his, in his law doth he meditate what? Day and night. No reason. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. Right? Oh, it's fall in my life. My leaves are turning yellow and brown. And they're starting to fall off the tree. Woe is me. I don't see it. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly or what? Ain't like that. They wither. And the Bible says here that, that, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. I'm going to take that to heart. I'm going to take that to heart. If God says that my life is to be a, a light and not darkness. My life is to be salt and not unsalty. There is supposed to be an influence wherever you go and whatever you do. When Jesus was, was healing and he was going about, he got the attention of people around him. Listen, when a Christian lets his light so shine before men, they may see his good works. Listen, that draws attention. Say, why are you always so happy? Why are you always so content? You don't have anything. You don't, you're not rich. You don't have any money. You don't have a good job. And the job you have is kind of boring or whatever. 
Say, but I know Jesus as my Savior. I know what it is to live by faith. And I know what it is to place the priority upon things that are important. And notice when he begins, when he gets them up in the mountain, he gets them set. He says, blessed are what? The poor in spirit. You think about that. We're talking about blessed. He's talking about happy, isn't he? Or content. Satisfied. The Christian ought to be satisfied, poor in spirit. What is a poor in spirit? That there's always, I have a desire that God is going to fill up some portion of my life with something. God is my all in all. He's everything to me. I get up in the morning, I think about Jesus. I go throughout my day thinking about Him, His will, His word. I think about His people. I think about His will. I think about how much I miss the mark, and I say, Oh God, I want to be more of what you want me to be. I yearn for that. A poor in spirit is somebody that expects God to fill up some places in his life. You get in your in the book in the morning, you say, God, I I, I, without you, I'm poor in spirit. Without you, I, I'm going to have some uh, uh, responsibilities and, and things in my life with my wife, with my kids, with my church, with the people I work with, the people that I'll see along the way. And if I, I, if I don't have your help and if I don't have your strength, God, that is a positive poor in spirit. Did you hear what I'm saying? A poor in spirit isn't woe is me. A poor in spirit is I've got a helper, and my helper is the Lord Jesus Christ. I have a helper, it's his word. I have a helper, I have a comforter, it's his Holy Spirit. It's not a woe is me. Sometimes people that are not poor in spirit are living in self-denial. They need God, they just don't recognize and don't appreciate the need that they have in their life. Oh, they will at some point. Things that they do and the things, the direction they're going uh, doesn't lead them to where they expect to go. I want to always be needy. You listen to me, Christian. When you, and, you, and you're going to see this later on. Remember, I, I've taught on this before and I've said, you know, this is really the baseline for Christianity. When it talks about it, it gives us, I believe that there's a, a order in which he gives us the blessed of the poor in spirit. That is the very base response that a Christian should have. I need the Lord. And without him, I'm nothing. And it ought to be that when we look at the, the, the challenge that we have in the church of, of being the church we're supposed to be and being the individuals in this body we're supposed to be for one another, and we say, listen, I am, I'm, a, I'm a part of the armor, I'm a part of the eye, I'm a part of the ear, I'm just part of this body, God. Don't let me fail in what you intended me to be. Don't let me disappoint the people around me that I'm supposed to be edifying and encouraging. And a poor in spirit, God appreciates. That's a teachable spirit, by the way. You look through the book of Proverbs and you'll find that person that has this kind of spirit is very, very open to God being able to teach and to train. 
I don't know it all. Never will know it all. I need God's help to get there. Secondly, the idea that he gives them the blessed is not only are they the poor in spirit, the Bible says that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They are living in the realm of the kingdom of heaven. But secondly, blessed are they that mourn. This takes on the idea of mourning as an emotional concern. You know, when something reaches down into our soul the way it should, spiritual things and the things of God, you become passionate about it. He that goeth forth, what? Weeping. That's passion. When it troubles you, and it should, when you emotionally get so, uh, you know, people say, well, I don't want to get too close to anybody in the church because I always get hurt. <laughs> well, guess what? It isn't about you. You get close to people that you might be able to encourage them and help them and bless them. If I didn't get close to people as a pastor of this church, I would not be a pastor. Yes, we get hurt. Yes, we get disappointed. Yes, sometimes we get discouraged. But let me tell you, that is the heart and the soul of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sure more than once Jesus was disappointed in his disciples. He gave everything that he had to them. I'm sure that many times they disappointed him in the way they acted. And what they did and the way they responded. You say, what, is the, what, if, what if we don't mourn? If we don't mourn for the things of God and if we don't mourn and we don't become emotionally concerned for the needs of others around us, the lost, our brothers and sisters in the Lord, for your own children, for God's sake then what is going to replace it you ever think about that you know if you're not mourning it's going to be replaced with something else let me tell you what's going to replace with if you're not mourning you're going to be bitter see a mourning person believes that there's going to be a, a, a there's, there is a chance for change a mourning person believes I'm going to, you know, when you, how, how many of you know when you best pray? When, you, when the best time you pray? Come on, you know when it is. It's when you're really troubled about something. I mean, the, and listen, you, you, how many of you think that we should be praying for everyone in our midst in this ministry? What do you think that? Come on, wave your hand out your pastor. And you know what? Well, you know, I just can't, I, I, I just don't, I forget or, I, you know, listen. You need to ask yourself, what is their need? And, and how big is it? I mean, put yourself in that person's shoes. That's the best way I can think of it. You put yourself in their shoes, and I guess what? You will think differently about their needs, won't you? To the point that you will begin to say, listen. I need to mourn for them. I need to weep for them. Oh, God, help them. I, if I was in that place, I would feel terrible. If I was in that situation, I wouldn't know what to do. If I was in that situation, 
And you need to be yourself as if it, you were in their shoes. And the Bible says that they shall be what? Isn't that hope? You put yourself in that. Uh, he gets him up on the side of this mountain. He says, Born, blessed are the poor in spirit. I'm thinking, I can, I can, I, just like we are. We, I don't want to be poor in spirit. I don't want to mourn. I'm never, that's the opposite of being happy. Well, listen to me. It's not the opposite of being happy. It's the opposite of being bitter. Because if you don't get under the needs and you're going to be bitter about, well, uh, uh, God, why did this happen? And why did that happen? And why? No, listen. You know in your heart you had the mind of God, the heart of God, and the spirit of God toward every need. And you know God was in it. The only peace that sometimes I can have as, as an individual, and I suppose uh, as a pastor, is I, have to, I, I just have to give everything to the Lord. I can't get under the... I, I, can, I can preach, I can teach, I can try to be a help and encouragement, but listen, the bottom line is the only peace I'll ever have and comfort I'll ever have is knowing that I have, I have bathed the need of that individual, that circumstance, and that need in prayer. And God says, guess what? Maybe the circumstances don't change, but I guarantee you, you're going to have a sense of comfort. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Come on. This is the basics, folks. He's not given hard theological understanding here. This is the basics of Christianity. Thirdly, he says, blessed are the what? The meek. The meek. I always look at the meek, and I always, I've said this before. <clears throat> meek are those that, are, that have the concern of Christ. Meek people are not self-willed or selfish. Usually we look at meek people and we think they're, they're, uh, they're either kind of uh, shy or backward or something like that. No, I look at meek people as under God's control. I really do. I look at someone that doesn't have to, to, to voice and, and push themselves on, on other people necessarily. They are really have the mind of God and they're under God's control. You say, what's the opposite under God? Listen, if you're not under God's control, you're under your own control. If you're not God-controlled, you're self-controlled or Satan-controlled. I think it's a profitable thing to be a person that is meek. And when a person is meek, their spirit is prepared for God's service. They're, I mean, God only has to just say one little word to a person that is a meek spirit. Because why? You say, ask me, think about it. Why would they only have to, God have to speak one word? Because they're always listening. They're not self-well. Because it's saying, Lord, what is, your, what, is your, what, is your, what is it you want me to be for my wife? Or what do I need to be for my, my husband? What do I need to be? Listen to me, Christian. You can even ask yourself, what do I need to be for that little three-year-old? It's in your house. You think God would have you direct you? How many of you think sometimes parents mess up with their kids? 
Come on. Kids don't turn out the way they do because parents do the right thing. How many of you have ever said, all my kids are different? Huh? I mean, they're different as night and day. I mean, you think they come from different parents. God made them different. And so you as a parent, you've got to shift gears. You've got to go one direction, then the other direction. Because God will direct you if you're what? Meek. You're looking for God's direction. And the last thing you want to be is, I think I know what, what, what God wants. Oh, you can pray. And you can read the word of God, and you should, and memorize it. And then God has the ability through that to speak one word. Oh, yeah, Lord, that's how I need to deal with it. That's how I need to take care of that. I've had God at times arrest me in the middle of a, a word. How many ever had to get ready to say something, and, you say, and God just shuts you down? And, you, and people say, what were you going to say? Oh, I, I, I wasn't going to say, right? I, I wasn't of God. I, I, you know, that's a healthy thing. Do you realize that? Because you are looking for God's direction. You've got a meek spirit. Look at number four. Remember, they're stair-stepping. First, you've got to have a poor spirit. Then you've got to mourn. Then you have to have that meek spirit, that controllable spirit that's under God's control. Remember... It's either you be meek or you be self-willed and selfish. Look at the next one, number four. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for God's righteousness. Somebody help me out. Where are you going to find that? Bible. Word of God. There's no way you're going to come up with it on your own. And listen, when you hunger and thirst for it, guess what? Those verses, as much as you may stumble, as much as you may struggle with it, as much as we as a church might be trying to figure out how we're going to do this, how many of you think it's right? We know the mind of God. Do we know it's right? I mean, do we really know? I don't want this way, I think, yeah. Yes! Yeah, you got it, Pastor. That's what we need to be doing. That's the mind of God, the heart of God, the spirit of God. The, that's the will of God. I hunger for God to operate and, and move in my life and in my children's life and in the church. And I, I'm, I'm not happy until he does. You ever seen a hungry person? You know, they haven't eaten, eaten for a while. And you and and well, how do you know what it's like? What is? It? I remember. I remember these my kids, uh, and I and I and uh, we always a joke around our house. But uh, uh, you know, if it was if it was dinner time, and we were a little late. Oh wow, it wasn't good around our house. Them boys were fighting and punching one another and arguing and uh, and we thought, what in the world is wrong? They're hungry. They didn't even tell us they were hungry. They were just fussing and fighting and carrying on. And you know what? We'd, we'd feed them. And they're just like pups. they just wrestle and play and have a good time. 
I said, Debbie, I said, Debbie, we must have dinner by 5.30. We've got to have dinner by 5.30. That's an ongoing joke. So if you had 5.30, you know. You know, God in turn for us to have our food too, doesn't he? He, and he, he wants to fill us with his word. He wants to fill us with his mind. And because if we hunger and thirst, we have a passion for it. Well, let's just say you don't. You never know. You, uh, uh, either you're going to eat good things, right? How many know? If you, if you're, if you, eat, if you eat steadily uh, a breakfast, dinner, supper, if you do it that way, or maybe you eat several times during the day, but you plan it. I mean, you're gonna, this is what we're going to have. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to eat. If you don't plan it, what happens? Somebody help me out. What happens if you don't plan it? You won't eat right. You eat, oh, there's a boy, French fries. Wow. Burger King looks good. I mean, even things that are, uh, you know, the worst, uh, you know, uh, uh, have one of those uh, awesome blossoms, 2,000 calories, full of grease. Give you a heart stop at any time. That's good. I don't care at this point because I'm hungry. So what is the what is the alternative if we don't hunger and thirst for righteousness? Help me out. We're going to hunger and thirst for what? Things that are not of God. You're going to fill up your heart. You're going to fill up your soul. Please, Christian, listen to me. We wonder why we don't have a hunger for the Word of God and why we're struggling to memorize it is because we're filled up with things that are not of God. Guess what those things are? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life. And these are filling up your soul with God-intended room for Him and His will and His Word. And guess what? You are not blessed! You will never be blessed. You'll never be content. You'll never be happy. Listen, why, does it, why is lust the way it is? Why is covetousness the way it is? It can never be satisfying and never give you the, the sense of rest and peace. Why? Because what God intended you to hunger and thirst for was not the things of this world. And the sooner we learn that, Christian, when you're busy, you talk, help me out. Juanita, I'll pick on you a minute. When are you, when are you witnessing to somebody about Jesus? How do you feel? Huh? You feel good? <laughs> I do too. I mean, you're talking to your neighbor, and you say, "Wow, this is so exciting! I got to talk to somebody about Jesus." And 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 you just and and you go home and you tell your 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 neighbor, your friend, your family. I I, I tell you when I get to talk to somebody about Jesus, Debbie. Because it satisfies. Yes? Satisfies. You hunger and thirst for the things of God. And it's either the things of God that will satisfy and be blessed. Or you're going to be subject to the world's passions and lust. I love teaching on the Beatitudes, my friends. Because I know it's just like Jesus. Come up on the mountain with me for a little while. I want to teach you some basics about what it means to live as a Christian. I want to give you some basics about what will make your life content and happy and, and, and blessed. Look at number five. 
Blessed are the merciful. You know, I don't know about you, but I like justice. I really do. I mean, I really do like justice. I, I like for things, I think that I like things to be done right. I don't do, always do things right, but I like for things to be done right. How many like things to be done right? You like for people to be trust, treated right. Guess what? We live in a world where there's a lot of injustice. Would you agree? Everywhere you turn, there's injustice. But here's the thing that God wants us to see. We live in a world where there's so much injustice. Things that aren't right. But listen. We need to always stand for what is right. Did you know that? No matter what it is, we need to stand for what's right. But here's the nice thing about the Lord. Is as children of God, we stand for what is right. But we have the opportunity to be merciful. Did you realize that? You all, you know, it's such a blessing to be able to say, listen, I'm, I, I, my, my end desire isn't to dash you into the ground. My end desire isn't to lord over you. My end desire is to be a blessing to you. Even if you've done injustice. How quickly does the Lord respond to a penitent sinner? How quickly? His ear is open to their what? Their cry. You and I are a part of that. You and I love justice and we love right. But you and I get a chance to stand and be merciful. Come on, parents, you know what I mean. You've got to be tough and you've got to be hard, but isn't it great when you can say, listen, you've learned your lesson. And I'm going to show you a little mercy. You know, we sometimes need to be a relationship with people that are, don't deserve any kind of relationship. But we need to show mercy. The idea of showing mercy is the idea of the mind. True justice through spiritual reconciliation. We take the opportunity to reconcile with people. Somebody comes into this church. We're not here to, to, to berate them. We're not here to judge them. We're not here to tear them down. We're here to say and listen... You recognize your need, your sin. Listen, we're all about helping you and encouraging you. The Bible says in this number five, they shall obtain what? Mercy. How I many of you need a little bit of God's mercy on you? I do. And God looks down and says, well, I see how you treat others and how you try to reconcile with others and how you try to encourage others, guess what? God will do the same for you. And they will, and people will treat you the same way as well. Let me give you a couple more. 
Number six is the pure in heart. So we have a poor in spirit. You're blessed. You're blessed if you mourn. You're blessed if you have that Christ concern and yield it to the Lord. You're blessed if you hunger and thirst for the right things of God. You're going to be blessed if you show mercy. But a big one is number six. Blessed are the pure in heart. You know, pure in heart is simply said is that you are really, 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 and maybe I'll say one more really, honest with yourself. Purity in heart. You know, it's so, how many, how many, be really honest with me this morning that you are guilty of putting on a facade a lot of times. Come on. You put on this front. Right? You know what, it's so, you ever been with, isn't it nice when you can just be really who you are? The pure in heart person is very humble. They, they don't try to put on a facade making themselves look bigger than life. They're very honest about their weaknesses. They're very honest about the thing, the needs of their life. They come down and they, hey, you know what? You want to have a, people won't like to be close to other people. I, I have a close friend. I'm close to my wife. I'm close to my kids. I'm close to my grandchildren. You know what the greatest element in being close to somebody is? Anybody know? You're not putting on no show. They really do know you in your weaknesses and in your strengths. You make yourself vulnerable to them. See, why is that important? When you make yourself vulnerable to the degree that, that God wants you to be vulnerable, listen, they will have the tendency to do the same thing for you. And they'll share parts in the weaknesses of their life and they'll share parts of their life they normally probably wouldn't share because they know you care for them. A pure in heart. We live in a day and age where there's so much pride. We got to make ourselves look bigger than life. And so, uh, so we have this false facade that, that we're always putting on. You realize it. You know where the where you could start this. You might know where you could start being a pure and hard person. Exactly right. You start being. You start being just who you really are, and being honest about who you really are. Listen, if you can be pure. Listen, first of all, I guess it doesn't begin in your home. It begins with God. You pour out your heart to God and you, you lay out to God, this is who I am and I don't want to be this way. I want you to change me and, I, and this is my weaknesses and this is what I, I really know is not right. And God, I want you to... Listen, if you be like that with God, then I have a tendency. You're going to be like that with everybody else. How many think motives to God is pretty important? Why you do what you do. Remember, we have gone from poor in spirit to the mourning, to the meek, to they which hunger and thirst, to the merciful, to the peacemakers. 
And now God says, listen, I mean, to the mer to pure in heart, peacemakers is next. You know, we've reached a point now where, where our lives at this point, next step up is a peacemaker, is now where your life can really be used to help somebody else. Are you listening, Danny? Alex, are you listening? You want to start investing. This is the point where your life is starting to invest in somebody else. You made yourself vulnerable to someone else because so that you might help them. You've made yourself vulnerable to God. God, I'm not going to put on any airs like I'm somebody that I'm not. I'm going to tell you what it is. I want you to help me and strengthen me. And God, help me to be what that, I need to be that real and right with other people as well. Number seven. It's probably the last one I'm going to get today. Blessed are the peacemakers. It says about those that are pure in heart, they shall see what? God. I don't know about you, but I like that. You don't put on a facade and God says, you're so real. How many have read the song? How many know why you like the songs? Ever thought about that? You have Davis, the great psalmist of Israel. Was he a humble man? Did he let out what he really was? And the Bible says you'll see God. You want to help other people, then you have got to be able to see God in your life. No facade. God is working in my life. He's helping me. He's strengthening me. And then the next one is says peacemakers. In other words, what's top on your list is being a soul winner and a disciple. You've so invested your life that God says, listen, I can use you because you have that poor spirit. I can use you because you mourn for the same things I mourn for. I can use you because you're that meek person that's under my control. I, I can use you because you keep growing in grace and the word of God and truth. I can use you because you know how to show mercy. And understand that justice is, is an opportunity to show God's grace. I can use you because you have this heart that is humble enough to make sure that whatever you do is done for the right reason. And now you become a peacemaker. I love that. Every Christian ought to look. And you say, are you a peacemaker? In order to be a peacemaker, you must be a soul winner. And you must be a disciple. If you have not attained to be a peacemaker, then you've misstepped somewhere else along the line. Guess what? If you're not a peacemaker, what are you? <laughs> you're a troublemaker. Thank you, Diane. And she is 100% correct. You ever heard the saying? If you're not a part of the answer, you're part of the what? Problem. 
If you're not in the church being a discipler and a soul winner, then you're part of the what? Problem. Please, Christian. Jesus took these folks up onto the mountain. And, and if you finish it up, you'll find here that they're blessed when you're persecuted for righteousness. Blessed are you when men shall revile you. And now, when you get there, you, 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 whoo, you're right at the top. But let's work on these first six things. Hear me? Let's make a covenant with God. God, I want to reach the place that I can become to step number seven, that I can be a peacemaker. Because if you're not a peacemaker, you're what? You're a troublemaker. I didn't have that in my notes. That came from her. All right. But it's true. I was trying to think of something. I, I, I'll tell you what I had in my notes. It was just uh, um, you're part of the problem, not part of the answer. But you're right. You're a troublemaker. And I believe, I honestly believe as your pastor, I think God's put us on this path right now. I think we're on it. And I think that there's a great percentage of people in sitting in these pews right now that I'm looking at that believe that we know the Word of God, we pray, we walk with God, we allow God to speak to us, and we show mercy, we try to be as honest with ourselves, don't try to put on some kind of show or facade. I mean, why do we struggle with First Baptist? It's all because it's all show. It's all facade. Well, you know, in, in real time, don't we have a little bit of that problem too? So as we close, let me encourage you. Jesus invites us to go up on the mountain too. He not only invites us to go up and learn these things, I believe he wants us to stay up there. He wants you and I to view life as a Christian from an elevated place. He says, this is, this is how God works. God works through our poor in spirit. God works through our mourning. God works through our meekness. God works through our hungering and thirsting. God works us when we show mercy. God works when we have this heart that is so pure and motivated in the right way. But you know, really, ultimately, it's up to who? It's up to who? It's up to you. Ultimately, you can choose to continue on or you can choose to say, yes, Lord, I want to stay on that mountain. I want to stay up there where I can see things clearly. I want to stay up there where I can enjoy the view. I want to stay up there where it seems like I'm always content or blessed when I see things do things the way you do. Let's stand as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, this was only the beginning of what Matthew gives us in about three chapters. 
But Lord, it's certainly a start. Lord, it's a start when we least have a, an un, honest understanding of what our, our spirit needs 